Hi everyone, I'm Anne Helen Peterson and this is Work Appropriate. Social media is weird. If you're like me, you started your social media accounts before you were like a professional professional. My early Facebook, like most early Facebooks, is vaguely mortifying. But then, as an academic, Twitter was also how I built connections with other academics. And then, when I became a journalist, Twitter became indispensable. And now, my Instagram is also part of my professional life. So now it's like a mix of dogs and my flowers, but also like screenshots of whatever I'm writing and links to this podcast. It's complicated. All of it. And even though I quote-unquote run social for my own little mini company that is me, it'd be even more complicated if I was also running social for a larger brand. Or if what I did for work was somehow very incongruous with what I did in my non-work life. So today, we have questions about these messy intersections of social media and work. And when I asked for suggestions on who should be my co-host as we work through these quandaries, the response was overwhelming and all pointed to one very smart and very experienced person who we were very lucky to get to come on to the show. My name is Rachel Carton. I am a social media consultant and I write a Substack newsletter called Lincoln Bio, all about working in social media. It's a fantastic Substack. I think so many people recommended it to me and I and I love it. And you've been in social media strategy for a decade. Yeah. What have you seen change over the course of that time, both in the role that like I mean, and I've seen this from watching my coworkers at BuzzFeed, both in the role that social plays within organizations, but then also the role that social plays in our lives. Yeah, I mean, I have seen so many changes. The only thing that I think hasn't changed is that social media is not constant. You're constantly needing to understand the landscape and every day is something new. So on the one hand, it's changed a lot in the 10 years. And on the other hand, it hasn't because it's always been this shifting landscape that, you know, you have to keep up with regardless of it was like 10 years ago with like flat lays and, you know, the Nashville filter or today with reels and TikTok. So that's the one constant I would say is that it is always changing. There is no resting on your laurels when you work in social no. media. <laughs> like you have to just constantly be like, okay, so how are people doing this now? And I, I find that so much of it is just observational too, like just consuming a lot of social media so as to understand how to do social media yourself. Exactly. Just for my own entertainment and maybe for listeners' entertainment, what do you see as generational differences and how people engage in social media? Oof, that feels <laughs> spicy. <laughs> We can be nice about it too, though, I think. Sure. I mean, I think that I think about, you know, my parents' generation and how my mom uses social media, a lot of Facebook, mm -hmm. um, a mm -hmm. lot of engaging with political content, um, using social media to express her views on things. 
Um, whereas then I think like my millennial demographic, we grew up on social media, but I think we also, at least I feel this way, are feeling exhausted by social media. Mm -hmm. We're not maybe willing to record 10 TikToks a day and, you know, (laughs) surveil our entire lives. And then Gen Z really has had social media their whole life and are feeling very bright-eyed, bushy-tailed about having their social lives and, you know, their entire lives basically broadcast on on social media. So I think there's a lot of generational sort of nuances in how we're engaging with social media. But I say, like, at this point, everyone, every generation is on social media, which is mm-hmm. sort of an interesting, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know the right word to use, but I'm motioning my hands, you know, all coming together. Right, right. And I think, like, one thing that I've seen that's so interesting, first of all, what type of millennial are you? Are you elder, middle, or young? I'm 32, so whatever that is. You're middle? young. That's that's oh, like young. no, oh, that's okay. young millennial. Okay. Um so I'm elder millennial and I have found my peers are so reticent to pick up another form of social media. Completely ignored Snap. Oh yeah. Like maybe I had one friend who used Snap. Yeah. And then many of them were not on Twitter. And then TikTok feels otherworldly to them and the way that they access TikTok culture. And I think I am particularly attuned to this right now because I just did so much work with Bama Rush Talk is they access it vis-a-vis reels or like TikToks that have been uploaded to Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it's like a different way of finding a different way of discovery and still very much feeling like I am not downloading TikTok But the reticence has been so linked to, I don't think it's necessarily technological fear as much as it's, I know it will become a time suck and I don't want that in my life. Totally. Which is different. That's like a reaction to the way that social media has functioned historically in their lives. Yeah. And I think that there's another like aspect of it of like, I think my mom, you know, I keep thinking of her, but like, likes to go on one app and she gets all of her information on that one app. Whereas I'm like in a constant state of like, five or six apps that I'm checking in on and like refreshing. And so if they can get their TikToks two weeks late on reels, like that's not so bad to them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There's no like, oh, this meme is old. This dance has been around. (laughs) And I do think like right now we're in such a weird moment with X Twitter, like these new Twitter type things that have popped up that are not doing the same thing in the same capacity. And I actually think that I've added an hour back to every single one of my days because I no longer use Twitter. But because of that and because I have a while ago, I consciously gave up on Facebook as like a way both for me personally, but also like for my work. Everything is consolidated onto Instagram. And Instagram was originally like a way to document my dogs and my friends. And so you have that that real connection, and this is why I'm talking about this, because I think it'll help with our our conversation of the professional and the personal and trying to figure out where that line is and like, how do you respond to people who talk to you on there and comment and all that sort of thing? Like it, it is a weird stew and it takes up more space in my brain than I would like it to. Oh, same. I mean, when I, (laughs) I worked at Bon Appetit, Uh, before and I was there for four years and I definitely like got the majority of my following from working there from posting food people were looking to me for restaurant recommendations and so when I left I was like who am I on Instagram do I still post food all the time or am I talking about social media on here do people who want to 
you know, the restaurant recommendations, care about my social right. media advice. And it's like a total mind fuck of like, wait, I, who am I on here? <laughs> right. Well, it's thinking of yourself as a brand. Like, of course, you're a person who is interested in other things. But when a social media profile for a human becomes branded in some way, you have to integrate other things into the brand it has to be a brand transition like yeah. how did i integrate gardening into my brand that used to just be dogs like that's sort of and it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud but it's what's happening yeah yeah all right so we're gonna transition into our first question which is about online personas this is from jenna my question is how do you balance a serious day job persona and your passion persona online now, I do content marketing to pay the bills. I'm also a humor writer, and I include both types of my clips on my website. I list my humor contributor roles on LinkedIn, and sometimes I share links to my new pieces on social media. My satire career has actually been growing a lot, and I'm very proud of it. But several pieces that I write are political or they're slightly NSFW. I'm fully in compliance with my current company's official social media policy, and I also hate to have to hide this writing that I really love doing. But realistically, I always wonder, am I sabotaging my marketing career just to put my silly little jokes online? Sometimes I feel like I should be fully splitting myself into two separate social media personas. So first of all, I think Jenna sounds awesome. I would love to read some of her satire. Same. In my way. What do you think Jenna thinks are the risks here? Like, do you think that a client would get upset or that her boss would get upset? What are you What are you hearing? I'm hearing that a fear of like, and it's a real concern that, you know, when you apply to a job these days, I think that hiring managers look at your social media for better or worse. And so I, I think it sounds like she's concerned that there's maybe not a consistent storyline, A, with her career on her social media pages, and B, that like, if it's a very sensitive hiring manager, they might not like maybe that she's written about certain things or yeah. um, talks about certain topics. Yeah, it's less probably about any work that she's currently doing, because if she's currently doing, then like, they already know that her work is good, right? Or her boss already knows that the work is good. And more like, what if there's a new client that Googles her? What if there is a new boss? What if she's looking for a new job? Like it's more of that that future looking. I get this type of concern 100%. And yep. as a marketer myself, I think it's really interesting when people have work that's outside of the normal job maybe. And so right. I actually think this type of writing like, oh, this person sounds funny and dynamic. And that is an attractive quality to me as a hiring manager within a marketing role. I'm like, that's so fun that she can write this way. Maybe she can bring some like spice to our brand. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like maybe she won't be doing marketing for... I don't know, like nap dresses, like maybe that's not the spice they're looking for. But there are so many companies that are looking for some sort of like differentiation who would find that really cool. Right. So I think that that's a really good point. Thinking bigger picture, what are the pros and cons of dividing your social media presence into? Because I have friends, especially friends who have kids who have that very delineated. Yes, Let's say you're a dermatologist and you want to be a thought leader on social media and post about 
awareness and what, what to look for and skin tips. And so you really want to build your personal brand, then I would say you are looking for growth within a very like specific topic and you should create your, you know, doctor, dermatologist, TikTok account and Instagram account. Yeah. And you might find once you create that account where you have 100,000 followers, let's say, and you you don't want to post your kids on there. You don't want to post, you know, what you ate for breakfast that morning. You could, but it's like might not feel on brand to what you've been growing. So then in that case, I'd say you start, you know, a small private account that is for just friends and family. And it's where you can sort of do those posts that maybe feel less sort of aligned with the, the more professional or public brand that you're building. But I do find that there's people that I follow, influencers who I like that they show their full selves on social media. They haven't just like niched themselves into this one topic. They talk about cooking and fashion and makeup. And I just love following because they are a full breadth of a human, which is what we are as people. And so if you're willing to share your full life, then I think that that's also a great thing. And it's sort of a personal preference of how much of your personal life you want to bring into your your work life and how much of your work life you want to really grow on social media, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Since both of these things are professional avenues for her, it's not as simple as I have a public life and a private life. She is losing potential exposure for each if she cuts herself in half. Exactly, exactly. It sounds like she really likes doing the satire and the comedic writing and if you know you want to kind of get discovered or become known for that, then you should be posting about that and you shouldn't be afraid to post that. I think that there's room for both of those types of content on one account and it shows that you are a dynamic, cool human that I personally would want to hire. Yeah, so I think our advice, because of her field, she should keep them together because it's cool and she's cool and she should yeah. send us her writing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please DM us immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about the conundrums that come up at the intersection of work and social media. Our next question is about what to do when your company is trying to dictate what you post. This is from Courtney. How do you deal with your employer wanting you to post information about the company on LinkedIn, but you want to use LinkedIn more as a personal brand situation you're looking for other jobs? Um, Just what kind of expectations can employers have about what you post on social media. Wow. I'm actually, I'm slightly surprised. I shouldn't be, but I am slightly surprised that the company is trying to like make her post things about the company that are positive or, you know, benign or I don't know, whatever on her personal LinkedIn. Yeah, that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Not cool at all. Have you heard this happening in other experiences and how people have pushed back on it? I, I've heard of this before more as like, you know, not the company maybe forcing, but more of a light suggestion. Yeah. And yeah, I think that it's totally inappropriate. A company would never ask you to post on your TikTok about them. They would never ask you to post on yep. Instagram about them. Why would LinkedIn be any different just because it's a professional, you know, social media network. So you're in totally fine to push back on something like this and saying that something along the lines of that, you know, this falls outside of the responsibilities um, in this role. But, you know, there's also, 
I've heard of, you know, ambassadorships for employees. And, you know, it's like, if you want to work with me, there's possible, you know, if you want to work with me in a more ambassador or influencer um, capacity, we can talk about rates, you know, like you should be compensated if you're doing promotion for your company on social media. Right. Yeah. Like this is labor. And this is also part like it is influencing how people perceive your brand and how they perceive you as a person. And if I happened on someone's LinkedIn profile and it was all like bullshitty business speak stuff about the company that they work for, I wouldn't want to hire that person. No, that's very, (laughs) very, very odd. (laughs) She could just like not do it, especially if it was just like a general advisement and then that she could just not do it. And no one's going to follow up and be like, I checked your LinkedIn and you didn't post this thing. But yeah, what do you think? Do you think maybe this is just love stakes enough that she can ignore it? I'd say if it's like, you know, a mass email to the team saying, we'd love for you to promote this blank thing on your LinkedIn, ignore it 100%, no need to respond or, you know, say anything sassy back, just keep that for the group chats. Um, But if it is a direct ask and is really sort of forward and like, can you please post this and it's coming from a manager or somebody higher up, I think a very nice pushback is called for. Yep. And talking about the ambassadorship. That's a really, really smart idea. Our next question is also about the overlap between real life and online life and how it might affect future hireability. This is from Katie. How do you navigate social media in an industry, which for me is academia, where work and personal life are so blended? It can feel really anxiety inducing as an early career academic to feel like your presence is being surveilled by more established or powerful academics who I also respect enormously but I feel like they have the potential to hire me while also seeing my ridiculous Instagram stories about hating my job and being tired of being precarious. Okay so as someone who used to be an academic you know the people in your field so well because you start out in grad school and you meet people and you meet people who are senior scholars and then like you move around and like suddenly you're in a larger position of power but like maybe they still think of you as a grad student like there are just complicated complicated relationships and the other thing is that academics spend a lot of time on social media in part because i think it is a great way to talk about the work that they're doing but also because it is a great distraction from grading or mm. lesson prepping or you know the same reasons why a lot of people spend time on social media i can see though how there is also this compunction for academics to always be working and then if you're posting stories about your life like actually having a life outside of academia then maybe it subconsciously or consciously communicates to your seniors who you know would be writing your tenure letters all this sort of thing that like you don't work as hard so i can see that anxiety does that make sense that makes sense this is not my world academia (laughs) so that was a very helpful lesson for me (laughs) um how much do you think though that people in your experience and not even just academia but just generally how much do people actually care about social media presence when they are making hiring decisions i think that people would downplay how important it is, but I think that there are definitely sort of these gut reactions that can happen when you view someone's social presence. Yeah. Anyone who's posting on a public social media profile should in some ways post knowing that there's going to be people like who are interested in hiring you or working with you 
viewing your content if it's public. Like you should just Mm -hmm. understand that and be comfortable with what you're posting if it's public. And I think that back to our recommendations earlier, like if you want to be posting stupid IG stories or whatever (laughs) it might be, then have a private account that you do that for. So you don't have this anxiety of feeling like somebody who you don't want to be viewing it is viewing it. Yeah. The other thing that I would tell this person to do if they don't want to go and create a new account is to use the close friends function on Instagram, right? Like that is a way for you to only post your stupid little stories to the people who you don't feel like they will be judging you in any capacity. That's a great point. at least not in a work capacity when you post them, right? (laughs) And it's very, if you haven't done it, people who are listening, if you haven't done it, it's very easy to set up. You just go in, you can Google, how do I set up close friends on Instagram? And that will give you a step-by-step. But you select from your friends and even you know the the instagram even shows you essentially who they think your close and real friends are which is kind of uncanny and it knows <laughs> it knows <laughs> but then it allows you to select those people so that your stories will only go to them and i will also say as an added benefit when i see someone with the green around their story which is what means that it's a private story it, it hails me. It's like a beacon. I'm like, I have to see their private story. They only want me to see it or, you know, I'm selected to see it. So it actually makes I know. Your it makes you feel story. special. Yes. <laughs> Freaking Instagram, man. <laughs> um, well, and then the part that she doesn't say, and I think this is a larger question. How do you deal with people like friending you? Even Let's say you have a private profile, but you like meet and have drinks with this person at a conference or they're your manager, but you hang out a lot and they friend request you. And I think in academia, especially because there isn't that same sort of delineation between manager and managee, there aren't those firm rules about like, "Eh, this isn't something that we do. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Ignoring it is just rude. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends. I think if you have, let's say, like a more public profile and then your private one is like, you know, a really small group, it makes it easier to say, oh, this is really just for family. You know, I'm only posting like, I don't know, I would make it up, my baby there or whatever it might be, something um, for close friends. But if that's your only presence and it is private, then I do think that it's a little bit harder. And I think that I like am an avoidant person. So I'd probably just let them in and then use close (laughs) friends, honestly. (laughs) It was like too scary to have that conversation. It is a much more tenuous conversation to be like, actually, there's a perceived sense of seniority. And I know that the chances are low that you would ever be on a hiring committee, but what if you were? Like that that's a weird conversation to have. Yes. So. One last small part of this question. What is your advice on whether people should lock down their social media accounts when they're on the job hunt? I think it depends on how comfortable you are with the idea of a hiring manager seeing your social presence. I don't mm. think that there is any sort of knock against you if you have a private profile so take that for what it's worth it might be Mm -hmm. just a sort of like I don't want you to judge me regardless of my social presence I'm going to make my Instagram private not a bad idea if 
you know, you are proud of your social presence and it's something you, you know, don't mind having public, then keep it open and just know that like people do go through and are probably going to look at it when hiring you. I also think it's different because I'm coming at it from like a social manager's perspective where like sometimes a social hiring manager is going to look at the person's social media to think if it's a reflection of how well they can manage a social page, which I don't think is very fair, but it's still like a little bit more of a one-to-one connection. Whereas like in any other sort of industry, I don't see why someone's social presence should really, you know, play a role. Yeah. I think you and I have weird perception here because like, I remember sorting through applications at BuzzFeed and you'd be like, okay, what's this person's social presence? Right. Like, and you want to, you want it. That's how you get part of their vibe is part of it's their writing. And part of it is the way that they like present that writing online. And that includes in their social presence. But for most jobs, they don't care about your sports tweets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will also say that there's nothing wrong with having your tweets on auto delete. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? So our next question is totally up your alley. It's about the downside of managing social media as part of your job. This is from Ellie, and our producer Melody is going to read it. What should you do if you manage social media accounts for work or customer service inboxes and receive insensitive, racist, sexist, inappropriate messages about your organization, and the message leads you to an actual business or person's real social media profile? Should you inform their boss of how they're using the work email? Can you make their sentiments public? This used to happen to me a lot in a previous job, and I never did anything about it. I was too nervous to get into trouble. Should I have? All right. This one, first of all, I will say as someone who has received a lot of these sorts of messages as well, people email inappropriate shit from their work email and their work Facebook accounts. And also, like, they do this all the time. It is unbelievable. But what do you think the move is here? <laughs> I mean, these are very serious topics. And if they are going to the brand's social media pages, which is how I'm understanding it, I think that they should be leveled up to your manager and mm. to HR. I think that these are, it's not your job as a social manager to even respond to things like this. If you have, you know, management, I think HR should be the one to deal with this. In terms of like the second part of the question, in terms of like Mm -hmm. going public or reaching out, again, as the social manager, I would not necessarily recommend that unless there's some sort of point that the brand wants to make about these sorts of messages. And it's something that you've aligned on with like legal marketing, HR. These are like very serious topics that I think that you should not be. And I feel for you that like you saw these and didn't know what to do about it or didn't know who to go to because it's heavy to respond to these types of things and receive these in your inbox. And I always say like social managers should get therapy as part of their jobs because the type of stuff that comes in and that we have to see and the trolls that we have to deal with are serious. Um, So I think that this is a issue that should be brought to HR and probably a legal team if it's really sort of a recurring theme or even if it just happens once. Yeah, I think that there are some brands, smaller brands that do make points of this, right? That they like screenshot it and post it or whatever. 
But I think that that's absolutely not something that you as a lower level employee to take that into your own hands is just going to backfire on you. And I'm really glad that you made the point that like this is a that what this person is fielding is abuse. It might be directed at the brand, but they have to read it. They have to delete it. They have to censor it. And I do know that a lot of places have gotten a lot better at coming up with mechanisms that make it so that you don't have to look at that stuff in the first place that automatically mute it so that the person thinks that they've posted it, but no one can see it. Yep. So you, you don't get those recurrent comments and that sort of thing. And then also I think like more companies also have been more mindful about having mental health leave available for people who are working those jobs, particularly if they're working in for companies or brands that do get a lot of that vitriol sent their way. Yep. So yeah. So is our advice like, level this up like what would the I, I wonder what a manager would say in this sort of position I mean I think that there's a few different sort of use cases as well you know if it's something that is coming into the dms and it is a constant sort of rolling you know lots of people you know maybe your brand is in the news for something and it's causing sort of a group of people to really slide into your DMs with abusive comments, then I think yep. that's a HR legal, like, how do we handle this? I also think that brands like, I, I, what comes to mind is like King Arthur Baking posted for Pride, and they got a lot of really hateful, horrible comments on a post. And yeah. the social team had these really thoughtful, amazing responses that clearly they had, you know, planned, like, mm. we're going to post this. And like, what's our plan going to be when these, you know, ignorant people comment um, horrible things. And they had yeah. these responses that were so thoughtful and like they stood behind the message that they sent out. And I think a lot of brands maybe want to participate in something like Pride, but then don't have the responses to back it up or you don't feel like they just let the comments go unsort of yep. watched. And then it feels like, okay, so you posted this, but now there's all this abuse going on in the comment section. And so I do think brands have a responsibility if they are going to take a stand for something to have a plan for how they will respond to, unfortunately, what will likely come in the comment section. So I think King Arthur Breaking, I want to shout them out because they do such an amazing job of this. And I do think that is a social person's responsibility in that case to have a plan for how you will back up a decision. When you did this work on a more day-to-day -day basis, like how, how did you deal with that, like having to read vitriol all the time? Do you have any advice for how others can deal with it? I would say log off, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. have like a set aside time where you are, you know, responding or monitoring it and then go mm -hmm. for a walk and fully disconnect from it. Because I know that sounds like the most obvious advice, but it's very easy for what's happening in your phone to feel like your whole world. And so it's a good reminder to just look around and get outside and be like, there's life outside of this comment section or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I like how on Instagram, if you have two accounts, like you can switch between them and you don't see the notifications from the other account if you're in the other account. Do you know, like they're not yeah. melded in the same way that they are on, say, Facebook. And I think that that's useful to be able to actually be like, I'm not going on that account. It's the weekend, yeah. right? Like I'm not on right now for whatever reason. It's not my shift. Yep. Our last question is about how we should interact with our coworkers' social media. This is from Britta and our colleague Caroline is going to read it. I work in marketing for a big media brand where the vibe is both corporate and fun. 
Quite a few of my coworkers are influencers who have large TikTok and IG accounts, make smaller scale brand deals, and generally do lots of posting, both tagging brands and not tagging brands. One coworker is a sex positivity influencer who wrote and published a book about self-love and sex. We're friendly, and I think she's really cool and smart, but I am curious. Should I or other coworkers like her sexier photos on the internet or her post talking about her own sex life? Is that crossing boundaries? Is it okay for me, a cis queer female who also identifies as, quote, sex positive to like her photos, but less okay for my cis male straight coworkers to like her photos? I know it's up to her to curate her own public presence, but I always feel a little weird about how to navigate her sexy public persona with the full swath of people I work with. Feeling puritanical about this, but sex and work are sticky. No pun intended. (laughs) All right. What are your thoughts here? So I think, I do think this is a sticky situation, but I, (laughs) I feel like I would think about it in terms of how you would interact with any coworker online. So thinking Mm. about, is this somebody that I'm friendly with inside the workplace, outside the workplace? Do we have a relationship that sort of goes beyond coworkers? Do we grab drinks or dinner outside of the workplace? If so, I usually think then, okay, I should follow them on Instagram. I interact with their personal content. And if it's not somebody that you have that sort of relationship with and it's more just sort of like a friendly office friendship, you know, just like you have with, I don't know, I'm Larry in accounting, you wouldn't necessarily (laughs) follow and like all of Larry's family photos, right? But you still are (laughs) friendly with him. And so I would sort of think about it the same way of, is this somebody who you would interact with on social media because you are friends and you are friendly outside of work or should it maintain more of a, you know, office sort of friendship or relationship? Yeah, I love that. I also think that this person is maybe overthinking their likes, especially if this person has like a lot of followers or at least like more than 100. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like you can follow and you can like know these things about her and and not necessarily like smash that like button in a way that is very public or quasi public. But then also, I think like a way to maybe strengthen that friendship, if she thinks she's cool, it sounds like they would get along and could become better friends is talk to her about her, the stuff that she's posted, like, not in a like, I thought that photo was very sexy. But like, I thought like this thing that you wrote was super interesting. Like, let's talk about that more. And I think that then that makes it like less weird right Right. it's not this like unspoken thing of like i know you have this instagram account but you don't know that i know it's like <laughs> right. break the ice in some way of like bringing up something that yeah they wrote about i think that's a great a great idea yeah like you're having a conversation about ideas instead of i'm surveilling your photos on yeah. instagram <laughs> yeah and i do think that that's like i love how she brings up she's like is it weirder if like the straight cis guy like in my work does this? And there's just there are some people who even if they don't know the person, like they assume in a level of intimacy because they have access to a window into their lives and like comment weird things and always like them and talk about that. And I think that's like she doesn't want to be that. Right. And so the way to not be that is to actually have a little bit more of a friendship with this person. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Is there any other advice as sort of in closing 
that you feel like is like we're in like we're such a dynamic place with social media. Is there something that you get a lot of questions about in your newsletter, in your inbox, in your DMs that you feel like people are really anxious about right now or trying to figure out anything in that vein? I mean, I feel like the biggest thing that I hear right now is just that people know that they should be on social media if they want to, you know, grow their business or whatever it might be, but they are exhausted at the thought of investing in social media. And so they are stuck in this limbo of feeling like this immense pressure to post on social media, have some sort of strategy while also feeling exhausted by the thought, like hate the idea of talking to the camera and showing their Mm -hmm. face. And so people, a lot of people that I talk to right now are just sort of like stuck in this limbo, specifically like small business owners or people who are really wanting to start investing in social media professionally. And even as a social media, whatever, you know, consultant, I never want people to feel like they have to be on social media or that they are failing if they are not promoting their work on social media in this most best practices way. Nobody knows what they're doing on social media. I don't know what I'm doing on social media. (laughs) Do what feels comfortable for you. And I just, I feel like we just are in this world where I see online just like being like, you have to be on social media. You have to be posting 10 TikToks a day if you want to break through. And there's just all these arbitrary rules and social media somebody who's been working in it for over 10 years, it's, it is exhausting. You should be exhausted at the thought of posting on social media because it's tiring and it's hard. And so, I don't know, I just like want to say that like all these things are advice and you, there are advice for how to grow and do all these things, but nobody should feel like they have to be on social media if they, if they don't want to. And I think that's an okay place to, to be. I also think that like you can find the mode that works for you. And that yeah. means both the medium, some people like Instagram is the thing, TikTok is the thing, whatever. But then I also think there's a lot of the like, I have to talk straight to the camera in order to make a reel or in order to make a TikTok. When there are so many creative ways that people have figured out how to make content and like a lot of it doesn't involve your face. Right. And it can be narration, it can be using like, I think so much of the text-to-type function that so many people use on TikTok, which is so clearly a way to distance yourself from feeling self-conscious about the sound of your voice. Yep. And I guess my advice is just, like, watch some stuff and figure out what feels like, oh, that's something I could maybe do. Exactly. Yeah, I guess I'm not, like, you know, boycott social media if you don't want to do it, but I think that there are lots of things that try and prescribe a very specific vision of what success looks like. And I think that success on social media can look a lot of ways for a lot of different people and thinking about what do you like to consume? What feels comfortable for you? And anything that you're comfortable doing is going to perform much better than, you know, forcing yourself to make some video that feels so inauthentic to who you are. Totally. Totally. I love that advice. This has been really wonderful and fun. If people want to find more of you, where can they find it in you on the internet? My Instagram slash all my social handles are at Milk Carton, K-A-R-T-E-N, my last name. And I have a substack called Lincoln Bio, and it is at milkcarton.substack.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we go, I wanted to let you know about another Crooked Pod you might like. 
There's a lot of news to catch up on, and Crooked's What a Day daily news podcast is here to help you break down the most important stories you may have missed in only 20 minutes. Listen to new episodes of What a Day every Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. We love building episodes around your questions and you can stay as anonymous as you'd like. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, or you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Thank you.